things. All right, open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would, to the book of Numbers. Numbers, chapter number 12. Numbers, chapter 12. Numbers, chapter 12. And we'll just read one verse before having a word of prayer. Verse number 3, Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. I'd like to preach a sermon to you this morning called The Power of Meekness. The Power of Meekness. Numbers 12 and verse number 3. The Bible says here in in a parenthetical statement, giving us a little bit of insight into the character of Moses. It says, now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. We're going to use Moses today as a lesson about the power of meekness. If you would, let's bow our heads together and let's ask God to help us with this. Father, we're coming to you now in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and you told us that Anytime we have need, we can approach the throne of grace and we can find that help in that time of need. Lord, we, we are in need of, of you to show up, to speak to us. I'm in need of you to guide me with, with what I say this morning. Lord, please help your people, both those that are here, those that are listening along at home. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and let the, the importance of this virtue of meekness Let it sink deep into our hearts this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Verse number three, it contains the very first time the word meek in any form appears in the Bible. Very first time. This would certainly not be the last time. As you read through the Bible, you, it's shocking. It was shocking to me this week as I studied for this sermon to find out what great emphasis God places on the characteristic of meekness, how highly it is valued in God's sight. Rather than read you a long list of verses, and the list is long, I'll give you one that will, I think, drive home the point. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. That's enough of a statement for any of us to take meekness seriously. Let me try to define it for you. Some people use the word meek as a synonym to humble. Humility and meekness, they believe that these are one and the same. I do understand that in certain contexts, even in the Bible, you will find humility and meekness sharing the same place or the same meaning. However, I, I do believe there's an important difference that exists between them. Uh, you need humility in order to be meek, right? Humility is a part of meekness. But let's, I, I think meekness goes a step further, so let me explain what it means. Here's the, the definition you get from a dictionary. Mild of temper. Mild of temper. This is the opposite of a hothead. It's the opposite of somebody with a short fuse. Mild of temper. Soft. Not a doormat, mind you, but soft. 
gentle instead of overreacting, right? Properly reacting. You react gently. Not, listen to this part, not easily provoked or irritated. You see, even before I began my biblical study of meekness, the dictionary had me under conviction. (laughs) I read that and thought, well, Jesus wants me meek, and if that's what meek is, God help me. (laughs) Another definition for it, patient under pressure. Patient under pressure. Specifically, when somebody provokes you to anger, you are able to deal with that provocation gently and patiently. That's what it means to be meek. So humility is one thing, and if that humility is what it is in your life, it should be there, then when something is irritating you, you can respond meekly. You can respond the way God would have you respond. Moses, obviously, the Bible says he was a very meek man above all upon the face of the earth. And I believe it would be smart to go to the life of Moses to learn meekness, which we will do today. However, I think all of us know that there is one meeker than him. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Do you see how he puts humility and meekness? They're together, but not the same thing. I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus says, if you'd like to learn about meekness, come to me and I'll teach you all you need to know. He would obviously be the best one to follow and watch and examine his life. You look at how many times Jesus was provoked to anger. How many times he could have rightfully lost it. And yet he remained patient under pressure. Now even if we go strictly to the life of Jesus, I believe that at some point, If you put your head in the yoke with Jesus, right? That's what he said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So as you're walking through life side by side with Christ and you turn to him and say, please teach me about meekness, not only can we watch the way he lived and how he responded to irritating situations, but he would probably open a Bible and say, let me teach you a few lessons of meekness using the life of Moses. So why would you think that, Brother Mike? On several occasions, Jesus actually referred the people back to the writings and the life of Moses. In John 5, Jesus said, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Jesus recognized, right, as as the prophet like unto Moses, Jesus recognized that connection. I want you to to understand, however, I'm not trying to say that Moses would teach us more than the life of Christ, but I believe it's legitimate to study the life of Moses for the next few minutes and learn about the power of meekness. 
Let me ask you a few questions. Do you ever feel easily flustered? You know, when you go to the doctor, they ask you to fill out that questionnaire. You know, they want to know your medical history. I'm asking for your emotional and spiritual history. See if you tick this box. Easily flustered. Are you quickly frustrated? Are you overly irritated? Would you say that that describes you? That you have that quick fuse and that the smallest of things set you off. Now be careful about answering these questions because you might tick certain boxes. You probably want to give that list to your wife. (laughs) And you might get a very different answer. (laughs) Give that list to your friends, to your coworkers. If you happen to be the manager, the boss where you work, give it to your employees and let's see which boxes they tick. See, often, if you ask the individual, are you meek? Well, of course I am, and how dare you think otherwise? And you just answered the question. (laughs) You're bothered that I asked. I haven't even started to provoke you. (laughs) We think this. The reason that I am easily flustered quickly frustrated and always irritated. It's not me, it's everybody else. If they would stop doing stupid and irritating things, then I wouldn't be irritated. So what we go about to do as self-proclaimed fixers of the universe, (laughs) say, let me tell everybody how they ought to live, how they ought to act, so that they don't frustrate me. And until everybody straightens up around me, I'm going to be in a bad mood. And that's why some of you have been in a bad mood for the last 10, 15 years. You think that what is required is to remove all the frustrations of life. And then, then I can deal gently. I can be in a good mood. I can be patient with people. But that's not reality. That will never happen. Life is filled with potential frustrations. Isn't that amen? Isn't isn't that true? That's one of those amen moments. Life is filled with potential frustrations. There is always something that can get under your skin if you let it. If you look hard enough at any situation, there's something to complain about. You can create the perfect circumstance for some individuals. Everything is going right. Everything is going good. And they would complain and say, it's too good to be true. This is just too good. It can't be real, even though it's going well. And then they would complain about the good old days when they used to have something legitimate to complain about. Let me propose this, rather. Instead of creating this false reality in your mind that somehow, one day, you will remove all the frustrations that life has to offer, skip that idea. Why not do this? Learn how to properly deal with the provocations of life. When life provokes you to anger, learn how to properly handle it. 
what is the proper way to handle these times of provocation, these irritating and frustrating moments? Meekness. You need to tap into the power of meekness and learn its great importance. Take, take your Bibles. Let's come to Exodus chapter 16, please. We'll work our way through a few passages this morning concerning the life of Moses. Exodus chapter 16 and verse number 8. As you find that, let me introduce my first point by giving you another verse. I'm just going to read it to you. I think it's a verse you're familiar with. Those of you in Bible school, we learned this verse. We studied it last week in Romans class. The first thing I want to say about the power of meekness is that it affords, it affords you a place for your wrath. It affords a place for your wrath. Let me explain this. Romans 12 verse 19. We're going to be in Exodus in a moment. Romans 12 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. So just in case any of you Marvel fans thought it was possible, you'll never be an avenger. (laughs) (laughs) Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather, listen to this part, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. When someone has done something, to get under your skin, you need to be able to give place unto wrath. The power of possessing the virtue of meekness is that it will afford you that place for your wrath. I, I, try, I tried to think about various things that would cause these irritations and frustrations, and, and there's just too many, too many possible places where that too many things that could provoke you. I've tried to narrow it down, but I'm sure this is not a complete list. You know, sometimes the things that get under your skin, the things other people do, it's just absolute stupidity. Right? I mean, what they're saying, what they're doing is so ridiculous, it doesn't deserve an answer. The Bible says in Proverbs 26, answer not a fool according to his father. Why? Because you're going to end up just as bad as him. You're going to end up in a conversation that has no purpose. Sometimes when something irritating happens, the best response is to say, this is too stupid to think about. It's not worth my time. Why would I be angry over something this ridiculous? And walk away. Now, if you don't possess that virtue of meekness, you'll quickly react and go, this is stupid and something horrible and mean and regretful will fly out of your mouth. Over what? Over what? If you give place to wrath, when that irritating thing happens, you're able to take a step back and think. You know, they say when something angers you, count to ten. That's, that's, that's lovely advice for, for people that can count to ten, but here's what happens. For most people, when they're counting to 10, that gives them 10 seconds to plan out their battle attack, right? How am I going to beat this guy? That just gives him a, a chance to make a plan. 
Now, the idea behind it is good, though, right? Ten seconds, but, but during those ten seconds, think. This situation that's going on, let me give my wrath a little bit of place here. Rather than being right on top of it, let me step back and give this situation some perspective. Just take ten seconds to think about it. Is it even worth being angry about? Did you know, I, this is just my estimation, I would say over 90% of the things that get under my skin aren't worth the time of day. The reason that they bother me so much is because I don't give place to wrath. I immediately react on my gut feeling instead of thinking about it. I'll tell you another thing that sometimes I think can cause irritation. Somebody can do something, and you misunderstand their intentions. And because you quickly react and you're easily flustered and always looking for a reason to be irritated, you lack the meekness, you will misread sometimes good intentions or sometimes, I want to say, benign intentions, right? They meant no harm, but you took it the wrong way. Be careful, by the way, Sometimes when you joke around with people, you can hurt their feelings, even though you don't mean to. But, but guys, if you're the one being joked about, just stop before you get too angry and ask yourself, is this person attacking me or are they just trying to have fun? Give, give a little place to your wrath. I, just this week, I was sitting at Toro having a coffee trying to study. And I don't know what it is about the coffee shops. There's going to be noise in a coffee shop. People are going to talk. There's, there's music in the background. I get it. I don't expect perfect silence. It's not a library. If I'm sitting outside, however, trying to avoid some of the noise, why would Uam come out of the coffee shop with his phone, stand one meter from my table and talk in his loud um voice. <laughs> you know what I mean? That loud booming I'm right here. Do you not see me sitting at the table? He I don't know why we feel the need to yell into our phones. All of us do it. We all do it. Can he not see that I'm, I am trying to have some time to, with, with my Bible to study? Calm down, Um. Stand, go stand six or seven meters away. Why are you standing so close to my table? Now, here's the thing. I take it personally. Me, because I struggle with meekness, something in me begins to bubble up quickly. And I start to think, now, how can I get Um's attention so that he quiets down? Truth be told, that phone call is not going to take that long. And he, he's not targeting me, even though <laughs> it kind of felt like it. He wasn't. He wasn't. You see, the power of meekness will afford your wrath a little bit of space, a little place to stop and think is this a personal attack 
Is this something I need to respond to? Now, there are situations, however, where the person is personally attacking you. And they are trying to get under your skin. And that's the, that's the area that meekness is really going to be necessary for. What do you do in those times? Exodus chapter 16, verse number 8. Let's take a look at this. Exodus 16, verse 8. And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against Him. And what are we? Talking about Moses and Aaron. Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. You see, Israel came out and leveled an attack at Moses and Aaron and said, you guys have brought us out into the desert to die. We had plenty to eat in Egypt. Now we're out here. There's nothing to eat. And Moses points out to them, guys, your real issue, you're not really angry at us. You are directing your anger at us, but your real issue, the heart of your issue is there's a problem between you and God. Being meek as Moses was, he was able to step back as they were leveling this accusation against him. He gave place to his wrath and said, wait a second, let me look at this situation. You're blaming us, but really at the heart of the issue, you're angry at God. Your complaint is really about the Lord, not about us. When something begins to get under your skin, you might want to consider that the reason this person is the way they are is not because they're truly angry at you and you alone. But you have to look at the bigger picture. There's probably something wrong in that person's heart. There's something wrong in that person's relationship with God. They are not handling that situation the way God would have them handle it. And you need to remember that it's not only a personal attack against you this person's issue the greater issue is with God now that should provoke your heart to compassion rather than anger so you can blame me all you want but I know deep down the reason you're frustrated and angry is because your conscience has been pricked and things aren't right between you and God and you're wanting to push the blame onto somebody else like me. Let me show you another instance of it. Numbers, come back to the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 20. Israel, they are lacking water in the passage. In verse 3 it says, And the people chode with Moses. So they're blaming him. They're accusing him. And spake, saying, Would God that we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And Israel is always in a bad mood. Have you noticed that? Man, I wish I was dead. I'm out here in the wilderness, no food, no water. I just want to die. That's constantly, my goodness, what a grumpy bunch of people. Verse 4, and why have ye brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die there? You see what they're doing? They're blaming Moses. Moses, it's your fault. 
Come back just a couple pages. Look at number 16. Was it Moses that brought the people up out of Egypt? Well, yes, he was involved. But Israel should have known by then it was God that simply used Moses as a vessel. Number 16. Look with me at verse 11. This is the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They have gathered 250 princes in Israel to stand up against Moses. It's a mutiny. They're saying, you guys, you, Moses and Aaron, you think you're better than everybody. You think that you're the special chosen people of God. We're all holy. We're all able to do what you do. So now this argument has happened. And verse 11, for which cause both thou, this is Moses speaking, by the way, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. He says, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, listen, your complaint is not really about me and Aaron. Your, the real problem here is you're angry that God didn't choose you. And what really needs to happen is you guys need to go to God and sort that out. But you're taking out your frustrations on me. Because Moses was meek, he gave place to his wrath. He could step back with perspective and see the bigger picture. The problem, the big problem, was between the people and God, not the people and Moses. Was there a problem between the people and Moses? Yes, but that wasn't the big problem. And fixing that problem, by the way, by the way, would not solve the greater issue. It would just temporarily bring peace and quiet, but only temporary. You've got to get the root of bitterness out. What is the root cause of this? A problem between that person and God. Have you ever had this situation happen where somebody has made a mistake? That mistake has been presented to you. They've told you about it or you found out about it. And you, with all the love in your heart, out of pure concern and compassion for that person, you lovingly rebuked them. And what I mean by that is not chewing them out. What I'm saying is you, you sat them down and with a soft heart told them, I love you, but what you did was wrong. And you are trying to help. Only to have that person then get extremely agitated and offended and they now begin to accuse you of being judgmental, unloving, uncaring, unsupportive, and even go as far as to doubt your Christianity, to say, well, how could you be a true Christian and treat me this way? And all you've said was, I love you, but I, I think what you did was wrong. You're trying to help. You know what the real problem is? They say that you are not showing love, mercy, forgiveness, etc. The real problem is that person who has become offended probably doesn't understand love, mercy, and forgiveness from God. And truth be told, their conscience is so sore from what they did. They came to you and they're going to go to others seeking approval for what they did as a salve for their sore conscience. They want somebody to say, listen, it's fine. Deep down, they know that it's not. 
and they, their personal problem between God, the pain that they feel in their conscience, it turns into anger and they direct it towards you because you're the first and most immediate thing in the room. You are going to have to employ the power of meekness and allow meekness to afford a little place for your wrath to say, whew, this person is saying some awful things about me. And the temptation will be to immediately rise up and to defend yourself and say, whoa, wait a minute. No, no, no. I know all about love, mercy, forgiveness. You... And now you have taken the job of avenger. You're going to take vengeance and defend yourself and prove that the problem exists between that person and God. Why not let God handle it then? You say, Brother Mike, I don't know if I can do that because if this person, you know, if they're, if they're saying these things, they need to be put in their place. As you saw with the examples I've given you from the life of Moses, Moses was not a doormat. He was honest with the people and said, listen, why are you blaming us? You are against God. In Numbers 16, you can see it at verse 11 at the end of it. And what is, Moses, or what is Aaron rather that you murmur against him? Moses wasn't afraid to point out, listen, your problem is not us. Your problem is with God. But that's where it stopped. After that, you'll see in all of these stories, Moses allows God in due time to vindicate him. Can I show you something interesting about meekness? Look at verse 15, number 16, verse 15. And Moses was very wroth. He was filled with wrath. You say, well, if I'm meek, that means I can't be angry. That's not true. If I'm meek, then I won't get irritated. That's not true. It's when you get angry, when you get irritated, knowing how to properly deal with your anger. You feel that anger. That's fine. You can be honest about that. But then taking a step back and going, now let's look at this situation Big picture. There's a problem between this person and God. Something's not right. I should point that out and then let God work on this person for a while. Where else would we learn that? Jesus was accused of very many horrible things. Being filled with the devil, being a false prophet, a deceiver, and on the list goes. He was accused of coming into the world through fornication, people were talking evil about his mother. You don't talk about somebody's mama. <laughs> that, that's like forbidden ground. Uh, you're, you're asking for a lecker beating. <laughs> but they did. They said horrible things about Jesus. And, and on several occasions, Jesus responded. Right? He did. He would say, which one of you convinceth me of sin? In other words, you're accusing me of all these horrible things. Where's the proof? All the way up to his, I want to say his mock trial in the middle of the night. They had to bring false witnesses and still they couldn't prove their case against him. Imagine how irritated he must have felt. How offended he must have been. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. But the Bible says, as a lamb 
dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. How many times could Jesus have just let her rip and proven them all wrong and proven, listen, I was right and I didn't do that right. This is clear. I'm, he could have. But he knew there's a time and a place for wrath. Sometimes we get confused on meekness. We think meekness equals weakness. It's the exact opposite. Meekness demands an incredible amount of strength. An incredible amount of intestinal fortitude. Inner, that inner integrity. Because you can feel this righteous indignation. And then even as Moses, who was very wroth, do you see it in verse 15? Very wroth. Then what did he do? What's the next phrase? And said unto the Lord. He was so angry. Then he went and talked to God about it. You see that? The amount of strength it takes to hold your tongue. Do you know how powerful the tongue is? The Bible says it's like the rudder of a ship. It's set on, on fire of hell. This tongue is a very unruly member, the Bible says. It can't be tamed. To hold your tongue when you know you're in the right. That takes an amazing amount of strength. Meekness is not weakness. To control your temper takes strength. As Jesus was walking up Mount Calvary carrying His cross, He had been brutally beaten, bloodied, he was whipped, bruised. He saw women standing along the road weeping for him. And when Jesus saw it, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not, for, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. In that moment, when Jesus could have been greatly offended, said, Look what everybody's done to me. You talk about a social justice warrior. Jesus could have become one. said, Society has treated me wrong, and I demand justice. But he didn't. He said, I'm going to give my wrath a little bit of place. Right now, I have got to make a way for you and God to get things fixed. So I've got to go to the cross so that reconciliation can be possible. But the day will come that God will eventually vindicate me. One day, the wrath of God will be poured out on those that rebel and those that hold to their wickedness. Jesus knew that in due time, the wrongs that happen in life will be made right. The power of meekness affords a place for your wrath. It gives you that time to properly think about it. Let me tell you another thing. The power of meekness allows you to purpose in your heart to help those that are hurting you. It gives a place for your wrath, and it allows you to purpose in your heart to help those that are hurting you. 
Let me give you just a couple examples of this. In, you don't have to turn to it, but in Exodus 16, we were there earlier, right? The people complained and said, we don't have anything to eat. And it's your fault, Moses. We should have died in Egypt. Look what you did. Moses pointed out, it wasn't me, guys. You're not murmuring against me. You're murmuring against God. Now, God, what can we do to feed these people? And down comes the manna. In Numbers chapter 11, fascinating chapter, the people complained again and said, oh, we're tired of eating this manna. <laughs> Some people will never be satisfied. We're tired, of, we're tired of eating this bread that rains down from heaven every day, this miraculous food. We don't want this. We want, we want I know in South Africa it's a vegetable, but we want chicken. <laughs> Right? We, we, we want, we want some, some bird. And Moses goes to God and Moses is frustrated. And Moses now says, God, just kill me. Just kill me. Kill me. Kill me, God. I can't put up with these people anymore. <laughs> claw, claw, claw. The heel of dock neck. Claw, claw, claw. I can't take it, God. Just kill me. It's too, it, the burden is too great. The Lord said, bless your heart. That's my version of it. Bless your heart. I get it, man. I'll gather together 70 men and I'll share the burden amongst those other elders of the people so that you don't have to carry the whole load and then tell the people that I'm going to give them a, a, a lekker brat. I'll bring the quails and they'll eat quail meat, right? In South Africa, it'd be chicken. I, you, I'll let them have flesh. They can eat so much flesh that it'll come out of their nostrils. That's disgusting. <laughs> he said, they'll eat so much meat, they'll, they'll get sick of the meat. And they did eventually. But, but here's my point. They're complaining. They're provoking Moses to anger. They're, they're blaming him. And yet, he goes to God and works out a plan so that the people can still get what they need. He purposes in his heart to help them anyway. Did they deserve it? No. People come complaining like that. You know what you're tempted to say? If your children came to you, Daddy, Daddy, you never give me anything. You never do anything for me. You never buy me anything special. Dad, does that make you want to buy them something special? You're like, kid, don't try that tactic on me. I'm, I'm a grown man. I see what you're doing. You're not going to manipulate me. Sit down. Shut up, booty. That's <laughs> It requires the power of meekness to look at a person or a group of people in that situation and say, listen, you don't deserve it, but I'm still going to try, try to find a way to help you. That requires meekness. You can't do that without some meekness. What happens often is people come to us for help, we help them, and then they complain about the help we gave them. It's not enough. Why don't you do more? And people burn you over and over and over and over and over again. The temptation is to harden your heart, to protect it. And I get it. It's a very human reaction to this. Your heart keeps getting broken. Harden your heart so that it's more difficult to break. But I caution you, you might harden your heart so much that you lose the desire to help anyone. 
And you begin to cling to the mistakes that other people have made as an excuse for not helping the next person. I've been burned too many times. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not asking you to move through life with no discretion, right? Learn from those mistakes in the past, the times that they've burned you. Be cautious. But meekness will allow you to keep a soft heart. That was one of the definitions of meek, soft to keep a soft heart so that you can continue to help people. On my first point, I gave you Romans 12. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, give place to wrath. That's verse 19. Two verses later, the end of the chapter. Do, do you folks remember how that chapter ends? Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a description of meekness. The worse they treat me, the more I'm going to find a way to bless them. That's tough. You, do, you will not feel like doing that, amen. Bless them which despitefully use you, is what Jesus said. Say, Brother Mike, give me an example, all right? I gave you Romans 12, verse 19, give place. I gave you verse 21, overcome evil with good. Let me give you verse 20. Paul actually quotes from the book of Proverbs in verse 20 and says, if your enemy is hungry, give him meat. If he's thirsty, give him drink. You provide. You purpose in your heart to help that person, even though they don't deserve it. That's meekness. Look in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Verse 7 and 8. We, we were just here a moment ago, yes? So you'll remember they're complaining that they don't have water. Verse 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and their beast drink. If your enemy is thirsty, what do you do? Get them something to drink. If I'm Moses and the people are bugging me like this, I don't fall on my face and say, God, how can I help them? I fall on my face and say, God, kill them all. <laughs> I'm not going to look for a way to provide. Right? But, th but that's because I'm not Moses. I I'm not very meek. God, help me. I want to learn some lessons about meekness. God, how can we help him? Aren't you glad that Jesus had that attitude? He looked down on a bunch of undeserving, wretched sinners such as we and said, now what can I do for this hungry and thirsty bunch and he provided the bread of life he provided the water of life he was the rock that was smitten for us so that the waters of everlasting life could be poured out upon us thank God for his meekness let me give you a third thing the power of meekness will allow you to have the attitude of prayer for those enemies It'll allow you to have an attitude for prayer. It affords a place for wrath. It allows you to purpose in your heart to help. 
and it gives you the attitude you need to pray for those people. In Numbers chapter 11, would you turn back to that? Numbers 11. I know that this works hand in hand with the previous point. How can I help them? How can I provide for them? Did you know sometimes it's easier to provide a necessary thing for a person than to pray for them? You can give somebody a coat or a blanket or a meal or a glass of water. Really, for most of you, that's not a great sacrifice. But to get down on your knees and genuinely pray for them, sometimes that's far more difficult to genuinely pray for them. It requires meekness. Numbers 11, verse 4. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? It says they wept, right? So you have to read it right. You have to read it right. You can't, they wept that. They didn't say that. They wept that. Who shall give us flesh to eat? Verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Oh, that's a joke. Come on, you ate it freely? You were slaves in Egypt. There was nothing free in Egypt. You weren't free in Egypt. <laughs> it's amazing how people misremember the past, right? The good old days, they weren't that good. <laughs> we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And now our soul is dried away. And there's nothing at all beside this manna <laughs> before our eyes. Now, after hearing this nonsense, verse 10, Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, and every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. They're on the same page. They're both fed up with this this bunch. Verse 11, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant, and wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? He said, Why are you making me take care of this bunch of babies? A nursing father. He said, God, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you putting me through this? Here's what you do when people are getting under your skin. You go to God and you talk to Him about it. And listen, not only God, fix that person. <laughs> fix them up, God. Fix them up. Right? Because we can all pray that. God, teach him a lecker lesson. And by the way, this is how you should do it. God, do this and this and this. You know what Moses prayed? It was personal. God, I am deeply hurt, and I don't know how I'm going to continue to put up with these people. Moses, who was a very meek man by God's own estimation, Moses, at a weak point, takes his complaint, and rather than arguing with Israel, he goes to God and talks to God about it. He says, oh God, help me put up with this person. You pray not only for your enemies, but for yourself to deal with your enemies. 
Let me give you a couple examples. You don't have to turn to it. Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain, right? 40 days, 40 nights, he comes back down. The people, they blame Moses for being gone too long and say that's why we had to make a false god, this idol of gold. Blamed it on Moses. What did God say? God said, Moses, the people you brought out of Egypt, they've gone astray. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses said, Lord, have mercy on them. Now, when Moses came back down the mount and saw it happening, he took the Ten Commandments, threw them down, broke the idol, broke the Ten Commandments. And, and you know what Moses did after that? At the end of Exodus 32, he went to God and he said, God, if you would forgive this people, and the only time in the Bible it ever happens, there's a, there's a, a dash, just a line. It's, and it's, that's not like a translation thing. That's in the original. There's just a line there. Moses never finished that thought. He said, oh God, if you would forgive this people. Wait a minute. There's no reason you should forgive this people. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. If you won't forgive them, take me instead. Blot me out of your book. That's meekness. That's meekness. In Numbers chapter 14, the spies had come back from the land of Canaan. They brought the bad report, remember? All the nation of Israel said, we can't go into the land. The giants are going to over, overcome us. They weakened the hearts, and there was a massive apostasy as a result. You know what God said? Stand back, Moses. I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses once again said, oh God, please, they deserve it. Please have mercy. And he prayed for his enemies. God, by the way, would have been completely justified in wiping them out. That would have been a rightful response. There were two right ways to handle that situation. Wipe them out, start again with Moses. Or we can go with what Moses suggested. Let's just have mercy and put up with this group a little longer. Either way was equally right. You say, why did God choose the other way? Because he saw the compassion in Moses' heart and it made a difference. I wonder if the meekness of your heart could make a difference between somebody else being destroyed or not. It was his meekness allowed him to pray an attitude of prayer. In Matthew 5, verse 44, I believe you're familiar with the verse. Jesus said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Can I ask you to, I want to give you an illustration from another place. Hold, you can hold numbers. We'll, well, you don't have to hold it, you know. I'm done with numbers. You, you can come to Job chapter 42. I'd like for you to see this. I was just going to read it to you but I'd like for you to see it. Job chapter 42. He was able to pray for his enemies. Moses was. I believe you're familiar with the story of Job. After Job lost everything, the devil thought that he would curse God. He didn't. He never did curse God. But one thing Job did start to do was complain. And I'm not going to condemn him because I would have done far worse. <laughs> but he did. He complained. 
He said, God's right, I know he's right, but I don't understand why he's right. And then Job said, one thing I do know is I'm right too. And therefore, God, I want answers. And Job's three friends, you remember he had three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Bildad's my favorite one because he was a wee little man. <laughs> do you know how I know that? The Bible says it. He was Bildad the shoe height. Get it? Shoe height. <laughs> a wee little man. Anyway, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the sermon. Just thought I'd throw that in there. These three friends are constantly accusing Job the whole way throughout the book, right? Saying, Job, you must have done something horrible. You must be secretly a wicked man because outwardly we all know you. You're a good guy, but some, you must have done something wrong to bring down the judgment of God like this. Oh, that really ate at Job. False accusations. How can they say this about me? And Job's pride began to kick up a little bit. That's why at the end of chapter 41, God gave Job this explanation about Leviathan and said, Leviathan is the king over all the children of? And I'm sure the Lord winked when he did pride. And that word pride, ooh, got Job right in the heart and said, oh, man, that's what the problem is. Yeah, my pride, I can feel my pride rising up. Job, in chapter 42, he repents. He says, God, sorry. I, I see now you got a point. I'm, I'm, I, I abhor, verse 6, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You know what the Lord does? The Lord vindicates him. He says, Job, listen, what your friends were saying was not right. See, eventually he got vindicated. The Lord did it. Then look in verse 10, what the Lord told him to do. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Isn't that a strange thing to say? When was Job ever in captivity? When was he ever in bondage? He was sitting on an ash heap covered in boils, and he'd lost everything. But when was he in captivity? Well, physically he wasn't. Spiritually he was. He lost his meekness for a little while. And his heart was starting to grow hard and bitter. That root of bitterness was sinking down. And when you allow the mistreatment of your family, your friends, of society... When you allow that, that anger, that frustration to control you, you become its slave. You are in captivity to that frustration. Here's the answer to it. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Those three people that had been accusing him and saying all these horrible things about him. God said to Job, I'm not going to be able to get you out of this until you pray for those guys. And he did. You know what it says after that? Also, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Before you ever deal with the possessions that he lost, he needed to get that meekness back. He had to get that attitude of being able to pray for his enemies. Who greater to learn this lesson from 
than the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross. And the first thing he said while he was up on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He prayed for those that put him there. That's the power of meekness. Let me give you one last point. You can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 106. One last point. Will not take long, but I believe it's a a very appropriate point. The reason I'm not showing you this in the life of Moses is because you've already seen it, actually. My, My fourth point today, the power of meekness will give you the ability to patiently endure. To patiently endure. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Those frustrations that are burning in your heart right now, it won't be the last time you feel it. And the the person who is hurting you, there's a decent chance that they will hurt you again. The reason they're able to hurt you as bad as they are now is because they're important in your life. If they weren't important in your life, if they didn't play a, a major role in your life, it probably wouldn't bug you so much, would it? Who are you? You're just a complete stranger. It would just roll off your back like, you know, water on the duck's back type thing. Off it goes. Who cares? Who are you? But it's when somebody close to you, somebody you care about, somebody you love is hurting you, when it's supposed to be a friend like Job, and they're saying these horrible things, it won't, be the, it won't happen just once or twice. There's a decent chance that that person you care about the most will hurt you over and over and over again. You need an extra dose of the power of meekness to patiently endure the repeated offenses of somebody that should love you. Let, let, me, let me give it to you like this. We're going to look at Psalm 106 verse 32 in just a moment. Let me give you a couple of the most difficult verses in the New Testament to deal with. You ready for this? If any of you think that you have achieved any sense of spirituality or righteousness, I dare you (laughs) to compare yourself to this. Jesus said, take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee. Thy brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him. You have every right to stand up and say, you're wrong. And if he repent, forgive him. You see the order here? This makes sense. You're not a doormat. He needs to make it right. And, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is somebody close to you. It has to be somebody close to you. If he can be there seven times in a day to do something wrong, he's a workmate, he lives in your home, Right? This isn't the stranger just passing by. This isn't the Uam at Toro talking too loud on his phone. I'm not near him seven times in a day. I won't be because he talks so loud. (laughs) If he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent. What comes next? You turn to him and say, knock it off, booty. Enough's enough. Jesus said, when, he, when that guy says, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. 
Now see, there's a lot of things Jesus said about discipleship I can get on board with. Why do you have to go there? That requires the power of meekness to patiently deal with the pressure that comes from this nonsense, repeated offenses, to be gentle about it. You know what the apostles said to him when they heard this? The next verse says, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) That is the perfect response to that. Oh God, I don't know if I believe that. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. You say, that's, that's tough. I'll give you one tougher. Matthew 18, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? See, Peter probably remembers that lesson from Luke 17. Till seven times. He's just making sure that that is what Jesus said. D- did I hear you say seven times? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times. Can you see Peter's face now going? (laughs) But until 70 times 7. And that's where (laughs) the jaw hits the floor. What? That can't be right. That can't be right. You say, now isn't that a contradiction? Because here he says 7, here he says 70 times 7, which is 490. Which, by the way, that's how many years God forgave Israel before He sent them into captivity. That's a deep, nice little nugget. But, but, one instance, seven times, that's for one day. 490, that's over a lifetime. Now, I know, I, know, I, I can see it in some of your faces. You're like, I'm going to go home and keep a journal, right? And when Booty gets to number eight, when he gets to 491, I'm cutting him off. you see the idea here rather than assuming life is somehow magically going to turn into a utopia with no frustrations no irritations just remove that as a possibility it's not going to happen rather prepare your heart with the power of meekness I am going to patiently endure the pressure, irritation, frustrations that come. Moses was a very meek man, but he wasn't Jesus. Moses, there was one time he let his anger get the better of him. Psalm 106, verse 32. This is relating to the situation in Numbers 20. We've read it today. The people wanted water. Moses fell on his face and he began to pray. God said, take the rod. Go speak to the rock. Remember that? What did Moses do in that story? He didn't speak to the rock. He goes up to the rock and he speaks to the rebels. And he says, you bunch of rebels, must we fetch you water? Whack, whack. And he cracks that rock twice. you Jesus is the rock and you only hit him once. When Jesus comes the second time, he does the hitting. Moses was messing up the allegorical picture of it all. God said, listen, all you need to do is speak to it. 
Moses thought, I'll let my anger do the work this time. One time, wasn't meek, verse 32, they angered him also at the waters of strife so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes because they provoked his spirit so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. Did you know for the rest of Moses' life he regretted that one moment? God said, Moses, I'm sorry. You've taken it too far. And because of this, you're not allowed into the promised land. And repeatedly after this, Moses went back to God and said, God, I'm sorry. Please, just let me put one foot in the promised land. God said, you can go up on this mountain and look at it, but you're not going to put one little toe in the promised land. What's the point? It's that one time that you don't practice the power of meekness that leads to a lifetime of regret. It's not that Moses was completely out of the will of God, never able to be used of God, right? It, it wasn't the end of Moses, but he regretted it for the rest of his life. What that friend, what that loved one is doing to you to hurt you, I'm not trying to justify their actions. I'm trying to prevent you from reacting in a way that you will regret for the rest of your life. Practice the power of meekness. I'm begging you today, take the yoke of Jesus upon you. Learn of Him. He'll teach you all you need to know about meekness. He might even use Moses' life to give you a few lessons, to fill in a few gaps so you can see how it works and what it looks like. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Let's all stand, if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. What might you play something quietly, please? And I'd like to give you folks just a few minutes now to think on what you've heard. After looking at this subject all week, I can honestly say if there's, if there's anything, any virtue that I think would completely change your life in a, in a drastic way, right? If you're missing meekness, and if you were to add it, I think it would bring forth the greatest change that you could possibly expect. Of all the virtues, right? The Bible talks about adding knowledge, adding faith, adding temperance. All of those things are good. You need them all, but meekness, whoa, what a powerful thing. Lord, you invited us to take your yoke upon us and learn of you. And I know that there are a number of lessons we need to learn. But chiefly, 
Surely meekness has to be high on the list. Lord, over and over again, people failed you, disappointed you, hurt you. And Lord, your long-suffering overcame all of it. Help us, Lord, to become more like you. Help us to learn from that one mistake that we read about there with Moses. God, we want to avoid those lifelong regrets. Lord, help us to retain what we've heard, to use it, to apply it. Prepare us tonight. We'd love to learn more from you and your word. Thank you for meeting with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.